Good morning. My name is Adam. For those of you that don't know, for those of you that do know, welcome. Uh, so glad you're here. Uh, we're going to continue in our series, Jesus is Better. It's kind of what the video bumpers kind of set us up for there. I want to do something, though, this morning before we even jump into that. If you give me just 10 minutes. Uh, I would like to, I promised this last week. Many of you know I was in India for about two weeks, uh, two weeks ago now. Uh, so what I'd like to do is just kind of just share with you uh, just kind of a quick report from that, uh, kind of just so you can get your heart and head around what God is doing there. Uh, you know, each week in your offering, those of you who give faithfully to the church, a portion of that money actually goes. Uh, to uh, LCMI, the ministry that we were involved with and partnering with, and we've really been asking over the last couple years, actually, maybe we've, um, we've really been asking what we keep trying to keep our mission dollars high while shrinking those that we support so we can support those that we support in a greater number uh, with more money, and then we can partner with them. So this is one of the ministries that our, our missions team has said, hey, let's partner with. So I want to kind of just spend some time kind of talking about it. I got some pictures. Help me do that. So if you allow me, um, just kind of before we jump into the message. Now, LCMI, let me give you right here, um, this guy right here, Sanjay Delavai, and this guy right here, Jason Hoy. Sanjay is the missionary that oversees LCMI, which stands for Life Change Ministry International. Jason Hoy is a pastor in Ephrata. Didn't know Jason before the trip, but got to get to know him and spend time with him. And then this group right in the middle, they're the pastors and missionaries. Some of them are just missionaries that we um, got to train and develop. Uh, give you kind of a background of what we did. LCMI, they're, they're a Christian camping ministry in India, which is predominantly Hindu. Uh, parts of India would be more Muslim. Uh, the sections where we were actually had some heavy Muslim uh, and, and pretty strong Hindu population. Uh, and so what they do is they come into these regions and run camps. And then they're very passionate about as, as young people come to know Jesus Christ, they want those kids plugged into a local church and being discipled. So it's not just a decision, but they're growing. So they lean into pastors and they build these relationships with pastors. So what I was doing is we came, we did training in Agra, which which is up in the north central park, kind of near Delhi. Agra is where the Taj Mahal is, and I did get to see that. That was uh, quite an experience. Uh, so we're there training these 30, 35 uh, pastors and missionaries that are hoping to have LCMI in their communities and then and the discipleship process in their churches. Now, the context for these pastors, just share a little bit with you. Uh, they come from, again, we're in northern India now. So northern India would have some of the more extremist groups up along Nepal and the east along Bangladesh and then over in the Kashmir, which would be in the western side. Uh, very much um, uh, one, of these, one of these guys actually was sharing stories in the region where he comes from, where uh, this past year, uh, one of his friends actually was tied in a cross and burned because he, uh, again, he does what I do. He preaches Jesus on a regular basis. So that's kind of the context for some of them. Some of them are over by Bangladesh, which is a, um, which is more, would be more influenced by the Southeast Asia and China. Uh, some of them up along Nepal. All of them come from um, poverty. Many of them, I shouldn't say all, but many of them come from uh, poverty, difficult regions. And many of them are not trained. Uh, so that's kind of what our role was, to come and help train them. Some of them do have seminary um, degrees, but many of them, they just come to know Jesus and they start a church. And then they start another church. Some of these guys actually lead 30 plus churches uh, that they move around in. So again, that was kind of our role to come support and train them. Now I have a couple people pictured here I want you to see. First of all, see this little mark right here in me? It's kind of, this is a bad picture, but I want to let you know it was really hot. <laughs> I am really thankful for a church with air conditioning. I cannot, I sweat here. Uh, you can imagine what I did there. It was, um, most days the, the physical temperature hovered around 100 uh, and the humidity hovered around anywhere between 
between 80 and 90%, which you're saying, well, my goodness, it might as well just be raining, and it felt like it was, uh, but it wasn't. Um, and again, the room we were in, uh, the, when we did have power, they had fans, which kept it some a little cooler, but it was still hot. But this girl right here in the middle, I want to share about her story, just so again, as you guys are praying for LCMI, you can kind of get your heads around some of the things that are going on. Um, that young lady, uh, she is actually a school principal in a Hindu community. Now picture this. So here she is in, a, in, in our context, it'd be like a public school, and she's asking for LCMI to come to her community and run camps, and she's kind of the conduit that's helping to get the camps there and helping these children get into the local churches. So it was really cool to interact with her. Her faith was huge. It was such a challenge and a, just an encouragement to be with her and uh, interact with her. Down here, yikes, sorry about that. Uh, down here in the bottom, uh, this guy here is Swete. Now, Swete comes from uh, the Bangladesh area of India. And Swete, he, the reason I show him is because he came up to me. Uh, it was the first time I was there. And he says, ah, you're from America. I said, yes. And we start talking. He says, do you know Sister Carol? And I'm like, there's a lot of people in America. I'm not sure. I mean, so we start talking, and here she is. He's telling me, he's referring to some of you know her, Carol Musser. Uh, Carol Musser just got beautifully worked at one point, a number of years ago, his sister happened to be on a, a connecting flight in India that Carol happened to be on, and they crossed paths. And her, his sister was trying to get this ministry up and running in the slums in, in um, the city where she's at in India. And so um, Carol played a very instrumental role in this powerful ministry that's taking place there in India. So I wanted to share that picture with you and continue to pay for Swete and his sister. Uh, Sarah is her name. Um, again, so she's there, there, and just very, very encouraging, exciting uh, story. A couple other pictures to show you. This guy down here in the bottom, uh, this guy's George, and his heart, right down here, his heart is big, it's huge. He's the only LCMI missionary that's actually on staff in the north. He actually lives in Agra. And what, he, what they're beginning to do, LCMI is just starting this, is they're starting group homes. That's what these children are right here. So they have a special needs camp, and special needs in India is not what we think special needs in America. I mean, it is, it is the country is dirty. The country is um, just to get on public transportation, you've got to be strong and healthy. Just to get in and out of buildings, you've got to be strong and healthy. Uh, steps everywhere, and generally they're marble and thin, uh, a lot of dirt, a lot of open sewers to get through. Um, then with the caste system, which is, again, supposedly illegal but still alive and well, uh, when you have a special needs, you drop in that caste as though the gods have not favored you. So the special needs uh, children especially are kind of pushed aside. So LCMI stepped in with these camps, but then they began to realize, well, we've got these camps and these kids, and many of them don't have a place to go or where they are going. It's in really difficult situations. So LCMI is beginning to start group homes is what they're calling them. Now they're keeping them small, uh, four to five children as opposed to going because they want to keep them, these children experiencing family. Uh, So this child here in the middle is George's daughter. Uh, The other three have special needs um, that that George and his wife basically brought into this home and the homes, this is the back room of their house. And so again, be praying for George, be praying for that ministry. Uh, Those of you who go, decide to go to India, we have an opportunity this February, you'll be working in the special needs camps um, if you, if you want to go do that. And these, again, the children there in those camps, so they're trying to get them into these homes and group homes where they don't have families. Put this picture up here for you. I know it's not real clear, but man, how many of you like the driving in America? I mean, do you ever complain? I mean, it just takes forever to get anywhere. You, the traffic, get into Reading or Lancaster. Well, let me tell you, I don't want to hear any of you ever complain again about driving in America. 
India driving is absolutely insane. I drove most of the time. I didn't drive. I was in the, in the, pass, or in the back seat, usually with my head, my hands like this, because it was so scary. They don't stay in the lines. There's all just cars moving everywhere. They don't have traffic lights, and they'll just turn in front of others. They'll just crazy stuff. Um, but this is what's very common. That's a family of five on a less than 100cc little tiny motorcycle. Now, yes, I mean, you saw it all the time. It was absolutely crazy to me. Um, so you saw that again. That was up in Augury, took that picture. I put this picture here to just kind of talk about people have said, you know, Adam, as I pray for India, how would you describe India? And I have a hard time describing it because it, it, is, a, it is a country of contrast. And that's the way um, Sanjay put it to us, and I think the word captures it well. And what I mean by contrast is in America, generally, the rich and the poor, you have rich and poor, but the poor live in this neighborhood, the rich live in this neighborhood. Here in India, they're right on top of each other. And so what I'm showing here is, thank God, and I generally mean that, um, we stayed in a hotel when we were in Agra. So there was air conditioning in the evening, so I could actually sleep. It was a wonderful thing. And it was a Western uh, hotel. And so if you look, I look, wake up my first morning, and I look out, and right here is the wall. That they, everything's secure. I mean, even to get in and out of the hotel, they have the bomb-sniffing dogs and the mirrors. They run under the cars. Just very, very secure. It's, um, it's, again, a lot of unrest in this northern region of India. And so they have these walls, and they put shards of glass all over the top of it. So I look down out of my room, and you can't really see it, but right here below this picture is a swimming pool. Um, now, not swimming pool like you and I think of this crystal clear. The water looked kind of, I don't didn't, I didn't venture in. I didn't know what I might grow when I get out. Um, but anyway, so I looked down at the pool, and, and so there's kind of this wealthy-looking courtyard, and then right across the courtyard is a place where just trash heap and junk, and, um, and this right here is a, is a young man who actually would, is going to the bathroom, and it's just kind of how it works. It's just right on top of each other. So contrast of the rich and the poor, contrast of the most hospitable people in the world. I mean, they knocked my socks off, yet at times... They're also very direct and can be rude. Um, They will butt in line, guaranteed. I mean, it's just kind of their culture. You think, well, how's that hospitable? Well, it's really not, but how does it all go together? Well, I can't explain it. It's just kind of this contrast of convergence of worlds. Um, So, again, they will, very, very interesting culture, very, my heart really went out to them, um, and just kind of the way they live. Uh, Next thing I want to show you here is this is a special needs camp. So down here in the bottom, this is the camp. There were about 40, 45. So week one, we were in the north. Uh, training and developing those, working with those pastors. Week two, uh, in the second half there, we came down to the south in Hyderabad. Now, now the thing that was interesting, too, is Hyderabad, and, and if I would have just gone to Hyderabad, I would have had a completely different picture of India had I not gone to Agra. Agra is dark, spiritually dark, um, physically dark. It's, Agra smells, Hyderabad smells, too, but because uh, of the open sewers and the trash everywhere. But uh, it's just night and day different. So this camp is in Hyderabad, roughly 35, 40 campers, special needs campers. You have them right here as a picture of them. I know the imaging's not real strong. Um, but again, this is a whole family of girls with uh, muscular dystrophy. They were born uh, not knowing they had uh, the disability. And as time went on, they, they all now cannot walk. They actually move around in there. They just you push with their hands. And so again, that's the... The, the children that the camp cares for. And then there's some uh, friends from Allentown from a church that came over, which would be doing what we hope to be doing in February at the camp they run. Um, this down here at the bottom 
I share with you because, um, again, the hospitality, our final night there, Jason and I, they, they called us up and just blessed. I mean, I cannot put words to you. I feel like I left uh, receiving more than what I gave in many ways. Uh, and on that final night, they were so honored that we were there that we came up and they hung these, these uh, shawls of, on us and gave them to us. And they put uh, these flowers around our neck and just profusely thanked us. Uh, and just just humbled. I cannot put words to it. And then this gentleman right here, they all wanted pictures with us. They love fair skin. They love it. Matter of fact, one of the guys asked me to come home and find him a wife. Uh, so if any of you... If any of you have a fair-skinned um, young lady that you would like to move to India, um, talk to me. I'll see if I can hook you up. Uh, but again, in all seriousness, they, they have arranged marriages, and the pastor often is the one that is the matchmaker because he knows the community so well. So the pastor, so they kind of looked at me as like, hey, I want a wife. Can you find me a wife? And so he's a good guy, by the way. I mean, he's a really good guy. I, I, if you want to good Indian husband, let me know. Uh, but anyway, so here's, so they all want pictures with us. They love our fair skin. They, they love the West. They're enamored with the West. But this one I just shared with you, they got a lot of these pictures, but this one I shared with you because it's so neat to see the ministry. This thing I'll, I'll just kind of wrap up with. It's so neat to see the ministry. This young man, um, three years ago, was a camper in one of their teen camps. He came as kind of on his last ditch effort. I mean, he's ready to end his life. Uh, He's got gang, I can't really see it clear in his but gang tattoos up and down his arm. He was strung out on drugs and just his life he felt was over, just abandoned by his uh, family. Uh, And so he comes and he accepts Jesus Christ. And now here he is three years later as a counselor in the special needs camp. I loved it. It was such a cool thing to see God working, God moving in those ways, um, and uh, just special. And many of the counselors that are there were actually campers. This girl's name is Olive. She was also a camper at one time. Uh, so again, it's just really neat to see God working. Picture in the upper right is church uh, on a Sunday morning. That was many of their churches, again, are house churches. That had roughly 35, 45 uh, people in this uh, kind of, just, again, it's literally the second floor of uh, one of their homes. So again, just a special time. Here's the thing I'll end with. I'll pray and we'll jump into Hebrews. Um, the word of God is living and active. I hope you believe that. That was stamped in my heart when I was in India. It was so cool to see, um, they, this again, different culture. Not right or wrong, just different. Think different, process different, different backgrounds. But when we were working with these pastors as we're opening up the scriptures, they read them and they pull from it the same realities of Jesus Christ that we pull. It just so challenged me that the gospel message of Jesus transcends all culture. I don't know of another book, another piece of literature out there that does that. It was just beautiful. And it was beautiful to see the spirit of God that we have. If you're a Christian, you have living in you in these pastors that we're working with. The same spirit of God working and moving and just accomplishing. It was so neat. They live in a context of persecution. Where to stand do what we're doing means, could mean death. We don't face that, but you know, it's so funny. We had a Q&A time, and um, this whole hour dedicated, they can ask any question they want, and we're going to talk about it from the scriptures. And the first guy puts his hand up, and the question he asked me, I'm like, are you kidding me? We have that same problem on our elder board. Really? You guys struggle with that? Absolutely. It was just so neat to see people are people. The word of God is the word of God, and it transcends culture. And the things that don't transcend can just go away. 
Let's hold on to the truth of Jesus. Really the challenge that, that really gripped my heart. So again, special place. Consider Chris is going to talk about the opportunity later uh, that you could have next February uh, into March uh, to go and work at that very camp. Uh, again, I'd encourage you to do it. If you've ever thought, if you've, again, it's a hard trip. I'll be honest. It's a very hard trip. It's an expensive trip, uh, but it is, it is worth your time and effort, and I promise you'll come away probably receiving uh, more than you give. With that said... If you ever want to talk more, i got a ton more pictures. I'd love to share them with you. If you want to, again, i got my whole phone full of them. Let me pray for us. I went a little more than 10 minutes, didn't I? Wow, yikes, got my timer running there. Let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, try and make up some time here uh, in our message. God, thank you so much uh, for Jesus. Thank you for your grace and mercy. God, now as we open up, um, just move to the scriptures, uh, the transcend culture. God, would you speak to us? Would we hear you? As we continue in this, uh, in the book of Hebrews and uh, Hebrews chapter eleven, uh, God, I, I, I just pray right now. Um, in India, our brothers and sisters are going to bed; <laughs> their Sunday is done. Uh, the Christians have already gathered and have worshipped you, and have gathered together and prayed together and and cried together and laughed together. Uh, God, just we're linked by the same God a world away. God, I pray for them right now. I pray for them, uh, the strength of the ministry of LCMI. I pray for Prashant and Praveen and George as they're there in the ground in India. I pray for all those pastors that we worked with, especially those up in the northern, uh, northwest quarter of Kashmir and some of those regions. Boy, God, the, the, the life that they see, God, give them courage and strength. God, now just be with us. May we hear you clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, transition to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Let me ask you a question to kind of get this message going. Here's a question for you. Now, try and consider this. Really try and step in and engage this question. What is close fellowship with God worth to you as a person? Think you, your context, the world you live in. And when I say by close fellowship, what I mean by close fellowship, close fellowship is knowing that God approves of you, knowing that you and God, you're close, knowing that there's an intimacy, knowing that there's um, an, an, an intensity of exchange, so you're able to really share your heart, you're, you're known, and you also know. Okay, so that's this close fellowship. What is it worth to you? Would you ever trade it? Let me give you kind of a couple things that maybe you might consider trading it for. Uh, how about money? Say someone comes along and says, hey, listen, listen, Adam, I'm going to give you all the money in the world so you're never going to be in want or need again. You'll have all the security that you hunger for, and you're going to have all the comfort that you want. Would you trade it? How about relationships? This is a big one. Someone comes along and says, I'm going to give you the perfect relationship that you hunger for. That loser of a husband that you can't stand anymore or that wife that's a nag that you just wish you and you're constantly daydreaming of what it would be like to be married with Mr. to Mr. Wonderful or Mrs. Right. Or, or maybe you, I'll give you the perfect mom or the perfect dad or I'm going to put you in the context of the perfect friends. You're going to have the perfect life-giving relationships. Would you trade it? How about, how about health and beauty? You're going to live to be 100 years old. You're never going to be in a wheelchair, never going to be in a walker, never, never going to have to deal with cancer, any kind of heart disease. All the way to 100, you're going to have your strong mind, never going to have to worry about the complexion of your skin or the waistline. I mean, it is just going to be smooth sailing all the way till you go to the grave. Or maybe for you, it's power and control. I'm going to give you the corner office. Everything you say is going to come to pass. And so maybe you want to be the president. Or uh, maybe for you, it's fame. You're going to be the known musician. Around the world, wherever you go, you're known or the known athlete. Would you trade your close fellowship with God 
for any one of those things. Now, here's what I believe with all my heart. Most of you in this room are going to say, no way. Matter of fact, some of you in this room aren't even engaged with the question because it's so ridiculous. It's so absurd. It's so, some of you are already thinking about the Olympics you're going to watch this afternoon or the friends you're going to have over, the swimming you're going to do, and you're not even engaged anymore because it's such a silly question. Let me give you another question. If you allow me, be honest with this question. Let me ask this one that I think betrays our no way to that question. Here it is. Do you ever intentionally choose to suffer? Do you ever, in your life, think about your last week, your last month, the last year. Think about your last six years, ten years. Do you ever intentionally choose to suffer for your creator, for what's right? You say, well, what do you mean by suffer? I'm not talking about being stupid and doing something dumb that is wrong and you're going to pay the price for that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking, here's what I mean by suffer. I'm not even talking about would you ever go and hang on a, be tied like, that, like the guy I met in India whose friend was tied to a cross. And I'm not talking, I'm talking about this. Have you ever, have you ever maybe taken less pay? Maybe you're, you're trying to consider what school to go to and, and what career to pursue. And you, know, you say, you know what, I'm going to chase this one. It doesn't pay as much. I could do this one, which I'll have, man, I'll be taken care of here. This one, I'm going to struggle to survive. But you know what? I'm going to chase after that one, and I'm going to struggle to pay my bills because I'm chasing a grander vision, and I know this is where God wants me. That's, at some level, suffering. Have you ever chosen or have you ever thought about stepping away from your inner circle, click, close friends because you realize, man, these guys aren't very loving. No one's ever allowed in. No one's ever allowed out. And I just, man, God's saying, hey, we got to step up and deal with this. So you're going to step towards those friends and say, hey, i got to step away. You guys know that if you do that, what you're gonna, price you're going to pay. Maybe for you, it's, uh, you know what? I'm not going to have a smartphone. You say, that's not suffering. Well, think about it in the context. I'm not going to have a smartphone, and, and the reason I'm going to do it is because I need to live within my means, and I can't pay that $60 to Verizon every month. I just can't afford it. So I'm not going to have a smartphone, and I'm going to choose to just step back. And, uh, or some of you say, you know what, I'm going to get rid of my computer my smartphone because, you know what, I can't control the things that I look at. And I'm, I take seriously Matthew chapter 5, and it says cut off your hand or gouge out your eyes. So because of that, I'm going to choose. It'll be hard to go without the computer, but I'm going to go without it because... That's what I mean by have you ever chosen to suffer? How about confronting someone? Have you ever confronted someone? I'm talking in love, not yelled in anger and disgust, but I'm talking about because you truly love someone, you love them so much, you cannot continue to watch them go the road they go, but you know to step out and talk to them, you know what it's going to mean. You know the price you're going to pay. Have you ever chosen to make those steps? How about spiritual disciplines? I'm not talking to make God happy or to satisfy him, but I'm talking to get to know your God. That's suffering at some level because you've got to go to bed earlier. You can't sit up and channel surf all night long because you've got to get up early to spend some time with God. Or maybe you're, you've got, you do it at night or you're going to, but it takes discipline. And have you, Do you ever make those choices, consistently make them? How about have you ever made the choice to stand up to your friends at work as they're bad-mouthing the boss? I know it happens. <laughs> it probably even happens here at Bethany. You're sitting around the water cooler and it's talk begins to turn and you're like, you know what, guys? We just can't go there. Have you ever chosen to break up with someone because you know they don't love Jesus or chosen in, in a dating relationship not to kiss because you know it's going to carry further? So I'm t- have you ever chosen intentionally to suffer? You know what I find? 
I've asked this many times of myself. I've asked it with many other Christians. And what I find in our Western context is we struggle with this because most of us, I think most of us medicate in place of staring down the hardship that we face in life. You say, what do you mean by medicate? Let me say it this way. Let me give you another way to say it. Many of us seek compensation for what we have to put up with in life. Okay, so for example, the husband that comes home and is tired of his nagging wife, and so he has a beautiful, immaculate back lawn, and everyone compliments him and gives him a high five because he's so good at landscaping. But really, you know why he's in his backyard? Because he's then not have to be in the house with her. It's medicating. It's compensating for what he has to put up with. Instead of stepping towards her, instead of walking in and saying, Honey, I know it's not good. I know there's a lot between us, but we need to work on this because I love you. Or maybe it's the person who comes home and just checks out with social media or checks out with the TV or comforts themselves with food or alcohol or drugs or, or, the, or the young people who cut themselves to try and compensate for their pain. Many of us hate suffering. And we go to great lengths to avoid it. And we're aghast when we think God would actually ask us to step towards hardship? Really? Many of us live with this kind of idea that, you know, God wants to deliver us, set us free. What I think so often many of us do is we're often living for God's deliverance in place of his approval. Many of us do this. I do this. We shift into this. And you say, well, wait a minute, doesn't God want to deliver us? Sure he does. I'll let the tension sit there. Sure, there's moments, and we're going to see it right in this text, where God delivered some people. But the bulk of Hebrews 11, they were never delivered. They died with great suffering and radical choices that were made because they hungered for God's approval more than his deliverance. Turn, if you will, to this passage, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 23 through 40. I'm not going to read them all to you. Um, you're going to, if you're in the known journal, the known reading plan, you're going to dig through uh, this section this week. So I'm not going to steal all the thunder, but I just want to highlight a couple of them. It's page 1016 in the Bibles there in the seats in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, grab that one. Uh, turn there to that. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's start. Let's read a couple verses here. Verse 23. Let's consider this one. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. That's going to shift to Moses' life, verse 24. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. There's a ton of other great stuff there. Jump with me down to verse 35. And here you're going to see this deliverance versus um, choosing to suffer. Verse 35, women received their loved ones back from death. So again, by faith, that happened. And that's deliverance. That's praise God. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's stuff I've never seen. Uh, then the rest of the verse, so look at the rest of the verse. But others were tortured. So some were delivered, but others were not. And they were tortured because they refused to turn from God in order to be set free. See, in other words, God, I don't want the deliverance. I want your approval. I'm going to hang on to you. God, I want you more than I want the comfort of life. They place their hope in a better life after the resurrection. 
So their hope wasn't in this world. It's rooted somewhere else. Look at verse 39 and skip those verses. You can read them this week. There's good stuff in there. Verse 39, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. None of them. Isn't this awesome? You say, no, not really. (laughs) I want the things God promised me. Think about this. No one mentioned in this chapter had the full promise of God given to them. They all died with something yet unfulfilled. And now here's where we come into this. We are tied into their story. Uh, Look at verse 40. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without who? Without us. We're tied into their story. So some of the reason they didn't get the promises was because God had something to do in us yet. I love how this, this generational faith that we talked about last week just kind of keeps on running. In fact, let's look at last week before we really kick this week around too much. Last week we talked about faith holds on even when the reality of what's promised is not experienced. This was Abraham. 23 years they lived without a child from Sarah. 23. Just let that sink in. When you've left home and you've left everything behind and you've chased after your God who told you to go to another land, 23 years. And then he finally has that promise fulfilled, but he dies with Isaac and no grandkids. He dies, he's promised this great nation, all he owns in the land is a grave. And it's about to be his. So he never sees the promise fulfilled. So again, last week we said, listen, do not let your experiences shape who God is. Allow God to shape how you experience life. So again, it's a challenge. So this week we're going to build on it. We're going to go a step further. This week then, let's take that same faith and dig deeper. And this week is kind of the real heart of it comes from Moses. The pleasures of sin are brief, but the rewards for obedience are eternal. Do not miss this. Sin is a lot of fun. <laughs> going to be real flat out honest. And it even delivers what it promises at times. And it is, it is a good thing, but it's short-lived. The rewards, though, for obedience are, are eternal. Unpack that with me. Look at verse 23. I want to start with Moses' parents. Now, capture this. This is so cool. Think about Moses' parents. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, all as we know about Moses' parents, it says, a man married a woman. We don't even know their names. And it says they were from the tribe of Levi, which means they were priests. So they were, Moses was a pastor's kid. And he's born into this home. It says a man married a woman, and then they had a child. And they looked at the child, and the child, it says, they noticed was special. Now, think about this. I want to set the stage for you. Understand what they, the decision they made through the lens in which they were looking at. They did not have the scriptures. They didn't even have scrolls and scribes and write anything down. Moses, their son, was going to be the one who writes down the first, for the first time, the first five books of what we know as our Old Testament. Moses, their son. So they don't have the black and white commands of Scripture, nor do they have what Abraham had. Remember we talked about Abraham last week and God spoke to him. They did not have that. So they don't have God's Scriptures. They don't have God's clear command. And then you say, well, they had this child that was special. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met a parent who thinks other, ever. I mean, I coached midget football, and I'll tell you what, we got parents that think their child is the next Peyton Manning. I mean, he's retired. We need someone to replace him, right? I'm like, no, your child is not the next Peyton Manning. No, I won't discourage that. Work hard. Who knows? Who knows what God can do? But I've never met a parent that doesn't somehow think their child is special. So here's the encouragement I want to give you. These parents changed the course of human history. 
These parents ultimately were used in the lineage of Jesus Christ to fulfill the promise of Jesus. Remember, all God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus. We looked at last week. These parents, and here's the, so here's the encouragement. Even with little encouragement and little clarity, don't let go. Hang on to what you know of God to be true. He's invisible, but hang on. The generational faith from this man that married a woman is all we know. Changed the course of human history. What a cool story. And then it shifts to their son, Moses. Moses then comes along. And many of you know the story, right? Moses was born at a time when his parents, again, it says his parents refused what the king, the king, Pharaoh, wanted all the babies to be killed because all these Hebrews who were their slaves were rising in number. And Pharaoh's not dumb. He's like, man, we're soon to be outnumbered. These, Egypt, these uh, Hebrews, man, they can they have babies. Wow. So he's like, let's end it all. So the, the edict was given that any child born, the male child, is to be killed. So Moses' parents are like, nah, we're not going that route. So they go and they, many of you know the story, they hide him in the river. And along comes Pharaoh's daughter. Now I'm going to step outside of scripture for a and talk from a, a vantage point of scholarly secular history that have linked um, Exodus up with what we see in our Egyptian records. It is believed, this is so cool, it is believed that Pharaoh's daughter was due to take the throne because her brother, which would have taken the throne, had a handicap. He was physically unable to perform the duties of king, of Pharaoh. So this woman that pulls Moses out of the water and then raises him as her own child, it says in the book of Acts that he was given an unbelievable education. I mean, he was given a world-class education. He was raised basically with a Harvard MBA. I mean, this guy's ready to lead and take over. He's raised in this home, and it is believed is, is that he was actually set up because of the, the, the dynamics in the family to actually set up to be the king of Egypt. But he says, what's the text in Hebrews say? What did he do? He walked away from it all. Why did he do that? Why did he walk away from it? You know what could be said? You could argue, well, that's a good question, Adam. Why would he walk away from it? You could argue, you know, Joseph, just centuries earlier, what did Joseph do? Joseph rose to power in the Egyptian, he was second in command. And because of that, because of that position of power in that prestigious position, ultimately it saved all the Egyptians from, from drought and being wiped off from a famine. So you could argue, God, you've positioned Moses to be the king of the most powerful nation on the land who just happens to be enslaving your people. You could argue that he was being raised to that position to do what? Set God's people free. You could also argue, man, Moses, your mom, respect and honor your mom. Think of the disrespect it is after all that she's gone through, after stepping out and violating her own father's command and raising a Hebrew boy. Moses, you're going to diss your mom and walk away from it all? Yet why did Moses leave? What does the text say here in Hebrews 11? It was by faith, verse 24, that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. In other words, Moses said, hey, hey, I'm going to keep my eyes on what's invisible. Look at verse 27. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is what? He says, I'm holding on to something far bigger 
Look back at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I want to connect something for you that Chris talked about three weeks ago. Hebrews 11, verse 1. If you turn there. Faith is the confidence that we hope for all. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things. What? What does it give us assurance for? Things that we cannot see. So here Moses is living out that definition of faith. He can't see God. God hasn't spoken to him. He doesn't have the scriptures. All he knows is he says, hey, I would rather have fellowship with my God. Fellowship with my God and approval by him is far more important than the riches of this Egyptian empire. And so off he goes. Now, I want to give you some hope. You say, Adam, I'm not Moses. <laughs> I'm not special like that. I wasn't called like that. I, I'm not Moses. How do, I, how do I make this true in my life? Well, let's talk about it. The text actually tells us how to do this, and many of us miss this. D.L. Moody, I think, sums it up. He says that D.L. Moody was a pastor in Chicago um, about 100 years ago. Uh, He pastored Chicago during the great uh, Chicago fire, if any of you know your history. Uh, It deeply impacted him and his ministry. But he says this, faith, which we're talking about in Hebrews 11, faith makes all things possible. That's what we're talking about. Now capture the rest of this. Love makes all things easy. You say, Adam, where does that stand up in Scripture? 1 John chapter 5 says it this way. This is love for God to obey his commandments, and his commandments are not, some of you know the verse, are not burdensome. Do what I find with many Christians, I find in my own life as we shift into this place of God's commandments are a flat-out burden. I really got to do that. I don't want to. I don't like to. Okay, God says it, so I guess I'll just go do it. And they gut it out. They do their Christian duty. They work hard. We dig in. Okay, God, I'll gut it out and I'll do it all the time. It is this heavy weight and burden. Does that accomplish anything for us? Is that what God wants? Is that what Moses did? I don't think so. Here's, here's why I don't think so. It's in the text. Let me come to it in a minute. I want you to think right now of the sin that you're trying to battle in your life. All of us have one. The demon that you're trying to slay. The thing that you know without a doubt is absolutely, in God's word, is wrong. Maybe it's things you're looking at you shouldn't be looking at. Maybe it's things you're taking that you shouldn't be taking. Maybe it's things you're speaking that you know you shouldn't be speaking. What, what is it? Just get in your mind right now. Picture the last time that you committed that sin. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe it was half an hour ago in your mind. Maybe it was last week, a month ago. Just get it in your mind. You have it? Let me ask you this question. Why did you do it? Why did you do that? Why did you commit that? Or maybe it was why didn't you do something? That might be in your case. But why? You know, I've never heard, I've never, ever, ever heard this answer. Well, Adam, you know why I did it? Because I was commanded to. I had to do it. I've never heard it. Do you know why you did it? Exactly what it says in the text. What does it say about sin? What does it say? Verse 25, he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying what? The fleeting pleasures. Sin is a lot of fun. Anyone who tells you different is a fool. And they're lying to you. I just, I don't know how else to say it. Sin will even at times deliver what it's promised. 
And you may get done and think, man, I feel good. Let's do that one again. That's why you sinned. Because it promises you some kind of joy, some kind of life, some kind of pleasure, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go do that. So why do we then, when we come to obedience for God, do we say, okay, God, i got to do this? Why can't we foot obedience for God? Wow, there's going to be such pleasure and reward in obeying him. Why don't we live from that position? Why don't we have more Christians talking about that? It's right here. Look at verse 26. It's what Moses did. He thought it was better. He rations in his mind. It is better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. Now look at this. Don't miss this. You say, there's no pleasure in that. Look at the pleasure. Look at where it comes in. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. You will never obey if you don't see some kind of reward. I've learned, I just know how to say that. Adam, that's not very spiritual. The scriptures say this. Remember Hebrews chapter 11, we read earlier, what do you have to believe? Remember what Chris read? Verse 6. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. If you take the reward out of the equation, I believe with all my heart, you're going to struggle to carry through with the obedience. I really believe that. And ultimately, D.L. Moody, what he's saying is faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. So let me ask it this way. Let's, let's kind of really make this practical. Why do you obey God? Why should you obey God? Let me say it that way. Because you love him. Go deeper. Why do you love him? Why do you love God? What is the reward that he's promised you? Really think about this. What is the reward? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what is the reward that you're promised? Is it an eternal life? Isn't it life with your creator God? Isn't it to be adopted and chosen? Isn't it to be looked at and say there is, there is now no condemnation for those who are in It is a promised reward. Doesn't Jesus say in John 14, I'm going to go away, guys. I'm going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you there. Your Savior. It's a, re- it's a promised reward. Now, Here's what I've learned. Uh, Luke chapter 7 talks about this. There's this religious gathering of of religious leaders, and and in steps a a sinful woman is the way Luke writes it. You can read into that, and scholars have for years read into who she was and what she was doing there, and some think she was Mary Magdalene, but who knows? She's just a sinful woman, but she steps in, and she's found in the story at Jesus' feet weeping over him, just weeping. She's crying so much, and she has enough tears to wash his dusty feet with her hair. Now, when I was in India, I wore sandals and flip-flops all the time, and I began to gain a new perspective of that passage. My feet were dirty at the end of the day. There's not paved, nice paths like we have all over the place. It was, they were just dirty. And, the, and Jesus, the, the religious leaders step in, and they're like, oh, Jesus, you're clearly not the son of God, because if you were, you would know what kind of woman is touching you. And Jesus says, no, you guys, listen. You know, the customary thing for you to do is to provide water to wash my feet. You not only didn't provide it, you didn't do it, and you didn't provide a servant to do it. You didn't give me any option. This woman is here weeping at my feet, and here's what he said. Do not, the end of Luke 7 is so powerful. He says, here's why. Those who have been forgiven little love little. Those who have been forgiven much love much. When we really grasp our depravity, our sinful natures, when we really grasp how we are separated from this God, 
And he sent his son Jesus to bridge that gap, to redeem us, to to save us, to cleanse us, to wipe away sin and death, to, to bring us to himself. When we really get that, it says he has been forgiven much. I understand, God, how much I've been forgiven. We love much. And from the position of love, it's natural to serve. Do you know I've learned? (laughs) How many of you watched the Olympics for six hours, seven hours, eight hours yesterday? I did. I'll put my hand up. I'm not ashamed of it. I wasted a lot of time yesterday. Now I was getting other things done. I had some other work to do on a computer, so I was, had two screens open, as many of us kind of multitasking in today's wonderful technological world. Uh, but anyway, we watched the Olympics. You know what I learned when I watched the Olympics? I learned that we sacrifice great for the things that we love. You know what we love about the Olympics? People watch the Olympics that aren't even athletes. They don't even know anything about sports. But we watch the human stories unfold in front of us, and we watch these these men and women rise from nothing, sacrifice great, overcome phenomenal obstacles to stand on a podium to get a piece of gold hung around their neck. And we say, yes, we love it. And I learned that we sacrifice great for the things that we love. Let me just, I want to just show a video here. This is an Olympic video. This is an Olympic athlete. If you've never heard of him, um, I asked someone, there's someone in our church, actually, uh, who lived in this country for uh, eight years of her life. And I reached out to her and her family and and her dad, and I said, how do you pronounce this guy's name? So I'm going to try my best. I apologize to him now because he he lives in Lesotho. Lesotho is in inside of South Africa. It's a little tiny country, mountainous country inside of South Africa. But his name is uh, Vitesu, I think. (laughs) Sorry, I apologize now uh, to him. But on $100 a month... It's all he earned. It's all he made. And you're going to see that, that this video is just going to kind of, it's going to be a picture of his life. He's going to, he works in a grocery store. You're going to pick up on that. He's got a family. He doesn't live in the, the posh uh, living that many of us do. He is, he's poor. But $100 a month, he sacrificed and suffered. And now he's in the Olympics for $100 a month. Let's go ahead and watch this. He's a mountain biker. Go ahead and watch, kind of watch his life unfold. See what he said? You catch that, and then some of you missed it. it was, they translated it for you in the bottom of the screen. See what he said? What did he say? I love what he says. That's why I played this video too. Have you suffered today? He understands what it is to stand on a podium with a medal hung around his neck. It requires suffering. So I come back to the first question I ask, which led to the second. Do you ever intentionally choose to suffer? When's the last time, let me put it this way, when's the last time you intentionally chose to suffer? Think of this verse, Romans chapter 8. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. This comes after the famous verse that says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Not nakedness and famine, not sword and death, and nothing can separate you. And then it says this, he shifts to Romans chapter 8, verse 37. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours. Overwhelming what? Overwhelming what? What is it? Say it. Overwhelming victory. Now, this next verse, 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks, thank God. He gives us victory. There it is again. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. Behind the word victory, whenever someone says, I have victory, do you know what they're not saying, what goes unspoken, but is always true? 
I have victory, what they're really saying is I fought a battle. You never have victory without a battle. I fought a battle. What they're really saying is I have victory. What they're really saying is I have wounds and I have scars and I have disappointment and I have sacrifice and I have suffered, but here I stand the victor. Here I stand to receive the crown. Here I stand here, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Here I stand and heaven's, heaven's gates have been opened for me and I stand looking at my Savior face to face who paid a horrendous price for me. And I hear him saying, welcome home, child. Welcome home. Cannot say enough. The pleasures of sin are brief, but the rewards for obedience are eternal. Keep your eyes on the one who is invisible. 